0: I say, everything's
1: going to be all right. I say, everything will be all right. Everything's going to be all right. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio. It's IAQ Radio. It's Friday, June 5th, 2015. This week, I believe is 371, right, John? The episode 371. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. I'm at the I A Q Training Institute, I A Q Radio World Headquarters in Central City, Pennsylvania. Joining me from Studio C, back in McKees Rocks, is the Z Man, Cliff Zlotnick.
0: Good afternoon, everybody.
1: Uh, good day, Cliff. And here with me at the controls is our engineer, John. you got to have faith. Everything seems to be working well. Our guest this week is going to be Nate Adams. Nate is the owner of Energy Smart Home Performance This ought to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. What's right and wrong with the home performance industry, we called this one. Before we get started, though, um, two things. One, check out the new IAQ Radio website. We've got the search box. I'm so happy. Type in somebody's name. Type in a topic. You'll find the shows and the blogs related to that. Um, also, we have uh, updated the resources page, so check it out at the iaqradio.com site. And we couldn't do it without our sponsors, so let's thank our marquee sponsors.
0: John Don Products, or restoration and abatement contractor shop. Visit them at Johndon.com.
1: Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at Clean Facts with an X.
0: IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products or services.
1: Okay, you can stream the show from our website homepage or follow the link that says go to the show. Uh, of course, now you can also just go right on the show. It's got a button for either you know stream, listen, or download. Last but not least, please visit that IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust. We're at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question.
0: Thanks, Joe. win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. You can either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show, you can text them the answer via your computer. Congratulations. Doug Conan, AirTech Environmental, Dayton, Ohio, for answering last week's trivia question. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, June 5th, 2015, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their website at TRSCA.org. Now for today's IEQ Radio trivia question. In what country and in approximately what time period was natural gas first used as a fuel? Back to you, Joe.
1: All right. Today we're, we're talking energy smart home performance, how that ties into indoor air quality, what's right and wrong with that home performance industry. And joining us is Nate Adams. Nate is the owner of Energy Smart Home Performance. He started out in the outside sales world for a fiberglass insulation manufacturer, and then he started to retrofit insulation in in an insulation contracting business back in 2009. Energy Smart Insulation, that company he started, earned the Department of Energy's Century Club Award in 2012, only one of 97 contractors nationwide since then nate has reworked his whole vision of the energy performance and home performance world and he now is running energy smart home performance which is what we want to talk about today how he got into this where he started what he thought you know might be right wrong and different with the Type of business he was running and why he's made these changes. He's, he's widely read as a blogger on several different blogging sites. He's got the uh, One Knob blog. He also uh, writes a little bit for the Green Building Advisor, I'm sorry, the uh, Journal of Light Construction. And, you know, he's just a great all around guy. I also want to note he was a Went to uh, school in our area. He's a Grove City graduate. Went to Grove City College and uh, he managed, I think it was an international business, if I'm not mistaken. I think we've got some music for Nate. From hot to
0: cold. From hot to cold. He transferred. From hot cold, from hot cold,
1: from hot to cold, from hot to cold, from hot cold. those from hot to cold, from hot to cold, from hot to from hot to from hot to Oh, that's a good one, Cliff. All right. Nate, do we have you on the line? <laughs> you do. Where do
0: you guys find that stuff? That was great.
1: Uh, that's Cliff. I got to give it credit where it's due. i tell you, I've been looking for. To- I'm sorry, say that again, Cliff. Through deep and long search. <laughs> he, he does spend time on this. Uh, hey, let's, let's go back a little bit, Nate. You you started in the insulation business. I kind of want to set this up. What, what got you started in the insulation business? What type of work did you do in the insulation business?
2: Uh, it was actually just dumb luck. Um, I needed a job, and I found a job in inside sales for an insulation distributor, which quickly turned into outside sales, and then we were bought by a manufacturer, and then you may have heard the, about the you know the little drop-off in housing uh, mm. construction a couple of years ago, and unfortunately, my job evaporated with it.
1: Okay, so you, you uh, went down with the economy back in 08 or whatever it was, and then 2009, I believe it was, you started doing energy home performance. Can you tell us a little more about how you started out with that?
2: Oh, sure. Um, uh, a, it actually was a pretty tricky time in our lives. Uh, I, I, lost my job and two weeks later, my wife got laid off and she's a web designer. Uh, so we had to you know, figure out how do we make money now? Um, and I had been thinking about doing this and had actually bought uh, a really small box truck and a very small blow machine, uh, to have the capability of doing this sort of thing. And, um, uh, uh, it
1: just moved the timetable up a little bit for us. Now, that was a time, you, you. I guess you went and got some training on, you know, uh, the BPI training and the weatherization training through the Ohio weatherization group there. You took the ResNet training and so on um, in, in preparation for going out and doing this work. And in fact, you were pretty darn successful, as I understand it, with respect to at least Getting awards, um, you won the Department of Energy's Century Club Award. What What is the Century Club Award?
2: Uh, that is given to contractors across the country that do upwards of 100 projects under a Home Performance with Energy Star program.
1: Okay, so you, you were over 100 projects, um, and I'm sorry, with the Home uh, Energy Star program?
2: Uh, home performance with Energy Star program. Now, what is uh, so that's typically what most utility programs work under?
1: Okay, home performance with Energy Star. Now, is that on? Uh, is that retrofits, new, or both? Uh, that is uh, exclusively retrofit work. Okay, that's a retrofit program. Have you done any new construction in, in the home performance world?
2: Uh, I have not, actually. So, you- i have stuck entirely to retrofitting.
1: That's what I want to get this kind of the focus on on the show here you're we're, we're looking at and I know it's a huge industry right we've got um, you know millions of homes out there that need some kind of work it's a there's been a big push to retrofit a lot of these homes so they use less energy um, I guess my question was you know even after winning this award you've been pretty critical of the very industry you started out in can you tell us why?
2: certainly um, a lot of it really just comes back to uh, a lack of measurement, uh, a lack of vision um, uh, and also the programs tend to in one way or another hold contractors down so they tend to hold margins down or job sizes down uh, things like that and uh, it makes it very difficult to run your business so in 2012 I won that award Um, But the last month of 2012, I was losing money, um, and in 2013, I shut down contracting. Um, And I've written quite a bit about this uh, on my blog, Um, uh, but uh, uh, what a lot of it came down to is I, uh, I had some time to reflect, was the fact that I really wasn't solving a lot of consumer problems, and I was chasing rebates rather than focusing on solving a problem.
1: You know, that, I went and took one of these courses know, five, six years ago, uh, the ResNet course, and, and I kind of looked at it like, well, it's it's kind of a niche thing, you know, especially in my area. There's not that much new construction. That was based on new construction. So I thought about, well, maybe should we look at the retrofit market. When I looked at it, I, I kind of got the impression that it would be difficult to, to really make a, a good living doing it or or for for my company to you know divert themselves or diversify into that and and it was pretty much for the same reason. I thought I saw a lot of it was kind of based on rebates and and specialty programs and we live in a very rural area and our rural electric didn't have it. Is that common? Is that pretty much how people in that industry for the most part make their living by Electric company type programs, rebate programs. Um, do you feel like you were competing with some of the? That was the other thing I was a little concerned about. Like, there's a you know local groups here that work on. Um, they work for you know poor homeowners that don't have the money, and they they somehow get money back through through the government or through the state, etc. Is that what you kind of found? Um. Not
2: especially like the, 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 weatherization, the low income work that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, that's a completely separate market. Uh, so uh, my company did do some weatherization work and I did it somewhat selfishly actually, because they offered free training. That was good. So all I had to do was, uh, pay my guys for the time while they, they were there. I didn't have to pay for the training or putting them up in a hotel or something like that. Uh, but I also found the training to be really good. um, Uh, So that was helpful. And the BPI uh, training, actually, I found to be very good, too. Um, But once the whole house bug bites you, you don't let it go. But uh, back to your question, when it comes to home performance contractors, the fact of the matter is, I don't know that I I am aware of five home performance contractors in the country that are breaking $100,000 a year in net profits. Um and I just came back from our industry conference, uh ACI down in New Orleans, and they have noted for years the lack of contractors that they have there. Uh so at the keynotes they ask people to self-identify and only about ten percent raise their hands as contractors. Hmm. That to me is a fundamental problem for an industry that is run essentially by contractors. If the work's not out there getting done, there's really not much point for the conference.
1: Who was at the conference?
2: It's largely utility programs and utilities, and then also uh, weatherization uh, low-income uh, program personnel. Hmm.
1: Interesting. That's kind of what I thought. You know, I, I can't compete against that. You either have to join the program or, or not, and uh, that was a little tough for me to figure out how we get, get to that point. Now, it <sighs> looks like you – and I'm glad you mentioned something really important the training i got was good it was good training the indoor air quality part could have been better but it was good training and i thought it was solid and and the principles behind it seemed solid the science behind it in, in general I'm, you know I, I could quibble with a few little things here and there but i won't what what was the thing about the training that stuck out the most to you with respect to you know the, the quality of the training what was the best part for you the biggest piece is this is the
2: only industry that thinks about the home truly holistically. So, I mean, if you call a plumber, what's the plumber thinking about yep. plumbing? And if you, you call the HVAC guy and he's looking at your furnace or your air conditioner, then the insulation guy is looking at your insulation. Um, but uh, there's no one trade you can call that thinks about your home uh, as a whole. So it's kind of like going to uh uh, the, the, the heart specialist and expecting him to diagnose your liver, uh, or to to do the job of your general practitioner. Um, uh, and once you really start to think about the whole home approach, all of a sudden it it gets under your skin and you're like, oh, I can solve all of these problems. I had no idea what the root causes of these actually were, um, And so you can solve problems in the house systemically rather than dealing with symptoms one by one.
1: I like that. I've got one more, Cliff, and then I want to make sure you get a chance to jump in here. I've heard you say there is no performance in home performance. What do you mean by this?
2: Um, Well, I'm pretty brutal about it. Uh, In many ways, I feel that our industry name is a lie. Uh, We don't actually measure anything after the fact as an industry. Um, Very, very few people actually go back and track what happened, um, to look at energy bills, to look at how equipment's running, uh, to ask their clients, was the problem that you called us for solved? And the real issue there is you don't have a feedback loop. Uh, So when you were in school, you had your grades as a feedback loop. If you weren't doing well, you got a bad grade. Um, But here we do something that involves performance, which performance to me uh, heavily means numbers. Uh, You know, like, what's the performance of a car? If I tell you the 0 to 60 and a quarter mile of a car, you instantly know whether it's a fast car or not. Um, But there are no numbers tracked within our industry, and it really frustrates me greatly, as you know, uh, because we could show the level of quality that we are capable of and the level of results that we are capable of if we could build some trust in the consumer that it's worth spending the fairly high amount of money uh, that it's that necessary to spend to get serious results in your home. So that uh, the lack of all of that measurements and the lack of focus on actual performance really frustrates me.
1: You know, Cliff, uh, give me one more here because I have to do a follow-up. I, if I'm not mistaken, there have been at least some studies maybe the the contractors themselves aren't following up and verifying performance, and i I frankly think that that they don't have an incentive to would you agree
2: one hundred percent there's there's no incentive to do good work and if you do good work, it hurts your margins. That's what I did, and I went out of business
1: but but have there not been research studies that that go back and verify whether or not some of these improvements home performance contractors are making are helping with at least energy performance?
2: You would think that would be the case, but for most programs, if not all, uh, they use what are known as deemed savings, which are largely uh, very fancy, high-level calculations uh, to, to say that whatever energy savings were predicted basically showed up. But uh, actual realization rates when they're checked are typically substantially below that. Uh, California has the worst realization rate at 34%, which means if they promised $1,000 in energy savings uh, from uh, given upgrades, only $340 is showing up. And if that's okay with you, I'd like to borrow $10 bucks.
1: <laughs> so somebody is following up. It, it, somebody produced those numbers in California, right? Yes.
2: Okay. Uh, but... Um, what you really need, like if you want to get let contractors get better, uh, you need to give them uh, some form of motivation and some form of feedback to do that. And so, one of the things that uh, uh, my other company, One Not Consulting, advocates for is measuring actual results from homes and then ranking contractors on those. So, uh, uh, I remember being humiliated in school. Uh, because I have never been a particularly slow runner, which is ironic, because I'm training for a half marathon right now. Uh, But uh, um, I I was always one of the bottom guys uh, on the list for how fast people were running. And I would have liked to have done better, but uh, I guess I didn't have the full motivation to actually do that. It was kind of a small thing. But uh, what we'd like to see is rankings of contractors to give them a reason to get better. Um, and and something to brag about when they do well. Um, And then also, if they're getting project-by-project feedback, they're going to learn which projects work and which projects don't. And the only people that are going to understand uh, what specifically was going on in that project and what might have gone well and what might not have is the contractor itself. And currently, there's no feedback whatsoever so that you can get better. Hmm.
1: Cliff, let me give you a chance to jump in here. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for
0: joining us, Nate. Uh, You know, you had talked about this money that used to come from uh, utility companies. And, you know, what I don't understand, if there was rebate money from utility companies, uh, why wouldn't the utility companies and or the government, through some sort of grant program, uh, you know, help provide assistance loans or whatever in order to uh, improve the energy performance?
2: Uh, that's a, a good question, and uh, part of that's definitely pushing the edge of my wheelhouse. Um, uh, but uh, when you think back to the economics of what uh, that the utilities want to do, most of the time they want to sell more energy. Um, so they're being uh, they're told by the public utility commission's who have legislation from most of the states that are requiring energy savings, um, driving them to uh, create these programs uh, to save energy. But at the end of the day, they don't really want to save energy for the most part. So you're forcing them to do something they don't really want to do. Um, and now I have to say to my gas company's credit, they don't have a mandate on their heads to do this and they're doing it anyway. Uh, but, but uh um, it's, it's not really in their best interest to do this. And until recently, the technology hasn't been in place either to be able to measure on a project-by-project project basis, on a month-by-month month or even tighter uh, uh, basis to see whether projects are working or not. So it's only recently that all the technology has come into place to be able to do this.
1: Thanks. And that's what, your smart meters and things of that nature, Nate?
2: Um, that, smart meters help, but honestly, monthly readings are plenty. And at the residential level, annual, uh, usage is oftentimes even more useful, uh, because you're going to have little variances from month to month in consumer energy usage, uh, that flatten out over time. So the smart meters are nice to have, but we find that if we have monthly data, uh, we can get fairly close in what we project our, uh, projects to save energy wise, um, to what actually happens.
1: I want to go get you to think back in time a little bit here and, and, and look at some of those jobs you did early on. Um, what would you knowing what you know now? Um, what would you do better or different from the earlier jobs you did?
2: The biggest thing is just simply more diagnosis. Um, and more asking questions of what clients are trying to solve. Uh, but uh, like one of the issues that ends up coming out of rebates is uh, as soon as people uh, understand that there's free money out there, uh, the the greed factor kicks in and they're like, so what do we have to do to, to get those rebates, to maximize those rebates and the goals tend to fall by the wayside. Um, so uh, uh, it, it, it would just be nice if I could go back and ask more and better questions of what people were trying to solve and I probably could have done a better job on them. Not that we did a bad job. Uh, we've got 70 Angie's List reviews. Um, uh, over 40% of them are a page of happiness which means you get all A's and then a gusher of a review um, and I've got lots of testimonials but I, I ended up feeling like only 80 to 90% of the jobs were uh, you know, unqualified successes. And to me, anything
1: less than 100% is a failure. So you're not saying these programs don't save any energy. Don't let me speak for you, but I'm trying to kind of capture this. I think maybe what you're saying is we could be doing a better job of directing these resources, or do you think we just flat out have it wrong and need to start over again? Good
2: question. I'm trying to think what's the best way to answer that. Uh, part of me definitely tends toward blowing things up, uh, but that's not necessarily where I'm going. What, what I would like to see more so is uh, most programs tend to try to get to energy savings uh, through kind of circuitous routes. Uh, so they'll say, well, you can use this furnace, but not that furnace. Uh, we'll pay this much for insulation. We'll pay this much for air sealing. Um Uh, There's there's all sorts of different ways that they can uh, uh, create rules for people. And the ultimate goal, though, is to save energy. So to me, uh, I'd just like to see programs and utilities say, okay, so what does it cost us to save uh, a megawatt hour, Uh, if you're familiar with Amory Lovins' term, uh, a negative watt or saved unit of energy, Um, uh, and just tell people, okay, so we'll pay this, per negawatt, um, uh, and let people show up with whatever way they can do it.
1: Okay, I like that. Now, I guess for the second half, and we're, we're getting a little, uh, we still have four minutes for the first half. I kind of wanted to set this up mm-hmm. and then in the second half go into how you are changing your business model to, address the issues that you see within the current system. And I I guess to do that, we also should probably, well, let me go back to this. You said energy, and I guess that's part of the problem I have is that that all this is focused on is energy. Is there any focus in the existing programs, not yours, on comfort, on (laughs) indoor air quality, where do you see that? When I took the course, it was more, we're going to save energy, but they did talk about not messing up indoor air quality, but not much with respect to improving it.
2: And, Joe, you just you came around to the critical point. Um, what we're hoping to do within the industry, and I'm not the only one trying to do this, is basically align the incentives of everybody involved. So the public utility uh, commissions, the um, utility programs and the utilities, they're all aimed at uh, saving energy, because um, that's what their mandate says. The homeowners are aimed at solving problems, and the contractors are aimed at making a living and doing a good job. Um, so it's very important that we get those lined up. Now, it all begins at the kitchen table, which is something that uh, the programs tend to forget, uh, which is if you don't sell a project in the place. There's no energy savings. There's nothing to measure. Nothing actually happens. Nobody makes a living, um, and things don't go well. And hence, you have only 10% contractors at ACI when that should be easily two-thirds the population. there. Um, so if we focus more on just what you're saying, which is what I focus on now with my clients, what are you trying to solve? Um, and it can be as simple as, uh, well, one of my clients, they have twin boys that are now three, and uh, their furnace wasn't working very well. It wasn't heating the second floor very well. And their boys were waking up an hour into their naps when they threw the, um, the blankets off. So then they had two cranky one- or two-year-olds uh, running around, uh, you know, and their day was kind of ruined for the rest of the day. So it was worth quite a bit of money to them to uh, solve that problem. And they really didn't care about the energy savings, but if you do a good job, uh, high energy savings levels are a proxy for success in solving consumer problems.
1: Interesting. So I'm going to guess they felt there was something wrong with their furnace, and it was much more complicated than that.
2: Yes, it was. Although for the heating, much of it, believe it or not, was that their furnace was too big. They had a pretty nice two-stage furnace, but it was 120,000 BTUs. Um, And the house, when we modeled it, had a a design load, which means what it's five degrees outside, that's what our design temperature is here, and it's 99% of the year we're above that. At design load of five degrees, the heat load on the house was 55,000 BTUs. They had a furnace that could do 120 and about uh, 80,000 BTUs, so it was always way too big. So we changed them out to almost exactly the same furnace model. only it was a 75,000 BTU2-stage, and it almost entirely solved heating problem. Hmm.
1: How often does that happen?
2: And they didn't believe. Really, uh, I generally end up changing out equipment every job I can. <laughs>
1: okay. um,
2: if it fits the budget that the equipment gets changed. Uh, but uh, if you want to know what percentage of furnaces and air conditioners out there is, uh, uh, I can just tell you pretty much all of them. Uh, probably ninety nine point nine percent of them because nobody measures to see what the actual heat load is.
1: Now is it is it the furnace or air conditioner itself or the delivery mechanism, the the ductwork, uh the, the return air, the number of them or some combination more commonly?
2: Uh it's a combination, but primarily I would say it's uh The equipment size, and this is something where you can get into uh, what Allison Bales calls uh, building science fight club. So I'll probably get some emails over this. But uh, my feeling is, for the most part, you can work with the existing uh, duct system in a home, uh, because in our region, you have the same housing stock. Uh, It's mostly hard ducts, and they're mostly inside the envelope. So uh, if you can downsize the equipment substantially so that it runs almost all the time, Uh, It's continuously giving a trickle of either heat or cold to whatever room uh, needs it, and it tends to even out the temperatures in a house uh, very, very well. So typically we don't see more than a 2 or 3-degree swing uh, within the home from one room to another, where when we begin with a house, 10 to 15-degree swings are pretty common.
1: All right. Well, this this has been fun. And uh, what we've got to do, Nate, we've got to take a little break here, thank our sponsors, and uh, before we do, I want to let people know we'll be back for the second half. We've got Nate Adams. He's uh, interesting, interesting program, Energy Smart Home Performance out of the Cleveland, Ohio area. We'll be back in about 90 seconds.
0: The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions. We use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com.
1: Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Check them out at legends-enviro.com.
0: And, of course, our marquee sponsors, John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at Johndon.com.
1: Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at CleanFactsWithAnX.com,
0: IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products
1: Services. All right, we're back. At the second half of our interview with Nate Adams, Energy Smart Home Performance. Uh, Cliff, I wanted to make sure if you had any follow-ups or other questions from the first half. You got the chance to do that now. No, I start. I'm starting the second half with a clean <laughs> piece of paper. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Cliff's just writing that blog diligently. All right, now Nate, your current business is Energy Smart Home Performance. First, what's what's performance? now to you His performance
2: is a, a measurable characteristic uh, is the biggest thing that comes to mind for me so the performance that I'm looking for is typically a reduction in air leakage as measured by blower door uh, and a reduction in energy usage as well as uh, and almost primarily uh, the perception of the client that the problem they called you for was solved
1: Okay, and where does indoor air quality fit into that?
2: Um, it, it factors quite highly, uh, quite often. Uh, in fact, tomorrow I'm doing, uh, sorry, Monday, I'm doing an audit of a home where the daughter has severe allergies and they're trying to solve it. So uh, we ran an air advice uh, indoor air quality test, and we found all kinds of things were spikes. They've got uh, some VOC spikes. Uh, their particulates are all over the map. Uh, their carbon dioxide is running too high, um, uh, and there are some other issues as well that my mind's blanking on at the moment. Uh, but it was, you know, it was kind of an elixir of things that are weird. So what we find is, if you fix a house systemically and you bring it into balance, indoor air quality typically follows along with that. Uh, But then also, I'm sure a question that you will have, uh, uh, in what we do, we build packages for clients. So we start with a budget package, which is aimed at a budget that we come up with together with them. Uh, We give them a sweet spot package, which is everything we think it's going to really take to solve the problem that they called us for. And then we give them a complete package, which is, it, it's soup to nuts. You could go into a full deep energy retrofit and make it a $200,000 budget. Typically, that's a forty dollars to $60,000 package for complete. Uh, but that will always include some form of fresh air ventilation. Uh, so be it an ERV, an HRV, or our personal favorite, ventilating dehumidifiers.
1: I'll say that again, ventilating deep humidifiers. Dehumidifier. Oh, yes. dehumidifier. Okay, that's why I was lost for a moment. I wasn't sure. Wasn't sure what a dehumidifier. Uh, we're just going to go
2: add lots of moisture to a house because we know that's such a good idea indoor our quality <laughs> perspective.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, but but you do live in a region of the country like I do and Cliff that we we get too dry in in the winter. Um, how do you handle that? Well, let me ask you
2: a question. Why does your house get too dry in the winter?
1: Uh, I know the answer, but um, go ahead. You tell me.
2: Okay. Well, it's a, I was hoping you would answer, but oh well. Uh, well that's all right. Uh,
1: it's basically because you're <laughs> leaking too much outdoor air a lot of times anyway.
2: That's, that's the primary cause. So uh, when I go in to fix a home, uh, I say there's typically uh, five priorities, and this is after you tackle repair things, like, say, a roof leak or bulk water in the basements, you know, all, all that stuff. I don't view that as an improvement. That's something that needs to be done before we start. But then there's five priorities for fixing any home, and they are reduce air leakage, reduce air leakage, reduce air leakage, add insulation, and right-size the HVAC. I like that. Um, so- So back to your question, uh, if the air outside is dry, which it is in the wintertime, it doesn't hold very much moisture, and the air inside your house is dry, likely your house is leaky. Uh, When you look at very tight homes, and this goes back to the 70s with sick building syndrome. uh, Now, I don't know for sure because I haven't seen a lot of measurements uh, or articles written on this, but I would suspect that a lot of that uh, trouble was caused by Making buildings too tight, and then they actually hold moisture too well, and it causes all kinds of problems. Uh, but if you tighten a home, that's the most critical thing you can do to it um, to make it so it's not leaking that uh, dry outside air inside during the winter, and you can control your humidity levels um, and keep it between, uh, preferably the like the minimum is 30 to 55 percent. Uh, relative humidity, but if you can keep it in the 40 to 50 range, you'll have some very happy clients. But unless the house is sealed up some first, that's not going to be possible.
1: I like that. Okay. Let's let's talk a little more about that pricing model you mentioned there. That's interesting to me. So you give them a couple of different levels of pricing that you could help them with. Um, how's that going? Um, Well, until the last couple of months, it was a
2: struggle. (laughs) It's been been two years of beating my head against the wall. Um, uh, But uh, the last couple of months, all of a sudden, the numbers have been just coming out spectacularly. Uh, But uh, I probably should back up to explain how the process that we do works. Go ahead. uh, If that's all right. Please. Uh, So what we do is we start with, an initial consultation where we we sit down and we ask them questions for typically an hour or so about what they're trying to solve. And then we try and dig into those so we can understand what the real thing is behind it. Um, like for one client, it was getting their kids to finish their naps. Um, I mean, that's, that's a substantial pain point. I understand I have a two year old, um, Uh, but, uh, so we ask them those questions. We give them a building science education where they get to hear those five priorities I just uh, talked about. Um, and then most importantly, we run a blow door test. So we find out just how leaky their house is. And a lot of this is like going to the doctor for the first visit and he pokes you in the shoulder and says, does this hurt? And you say, no. Um, and then he pokes you in the knee and you scream and he starts asking you how much it hurts. Um, So the goal is, in the first step, to basically make people understand uh, the pain that they have and that they want to solve. Uh, And for that consultation, we charge between $250 and $300. Um, The second step is what we call the comprehensive uh, planning process, and that begins with an energy audit. Uh, But one of the things that I've always disliked about energy audits is it's kind of like going to the doctor uh, you've got a severe headache, he comes in with the MRI reports, drops it in your lap and says, have a nice day. <laughs> and the consumer's, for the patient, is left to think, what the heck do I do now? Uh, so an energy audit often will give you know anywhere between 10 and 30 suggestions as to what to do, but they're not packaged And they're not aimed at any particular problem, and they're oftentimes not priced either, at least from the utility side. So private audits, that can be a different gig.
1: Are they typically uh, prioritized, though? Like, here's number one through 15?
2: Well, more so than prioritize them, we package them. Okay. Uh, So say you want to solve ice dams. Um, That's primarily an air sealing and insulation problem. Um, You'll probably get some comfort gains from it, but then again, we may make your furnace, which is already uh, 100% too big, make it 150% too big, and now the comfort in the house actually suffers. Um, So we like to consider everything. But uh, if ICM's your primary thing, package one, the budget package, is going to uh, aim at solving uh, that problem. Uh, And then the upper packages will get into whatever uh, other things that client would like solved in priority order.
1: Okay. Uh, now, so you're more of a consultant. I want to clarify that as well. You're, you're more of a consultant to these folks, and then you use subcontractors to actually do the renovations.
2: Uh, correct. That's, that's. I might have slight technical issues there. I act as a construction manager more than a, a general contractor, but yes, it's essentially okay. that. So uh, I design the projects, and then I help the clients get the quotes, um, and then watch over. Uh, the actual work to make sure that the important but invisible details that most clients are not going to know about, uh, that those get tackled.
1: All right. Now, one of our listeners sent me a text, and and we're obviously thinking closely along the same way here. Um, You you talked about ventilation and the fact that ventilation is important. His question is, what do you think of the new ASHRAE ventilation rate? I guess that would be residential 62.2. Do you want to comment on that, and then I'll give you mine, or do you want me to hit both at the same time?
2: <laughs> well, I guess I'll go first. All right. Um, uh, a, I, I went to the, the great ventilation debate at uh, ACI in Detroit in 2014, um, and uh, uh, Paul Francisco of uh, the ASHRAE committee actually admitted to the fact that the standard for 2013 wasn't done, but it was due to be published, so they published it anyway. So. Um, and Joe Stebrick of uh, Building Science Corporation just took the committee apart. So after watching that, my final score of that debate was Joe 25, audience 5, and the 62 2 committee 1. Um, it was one of the most uneven debates I've ever seen. Um, and in general, it's it's just too high. Um, and I tend to agree with Richard Rue, who you had on uh, last week, a friend of mine, Yes. Um, that um, uh, if you deal primarily with continuous operation of HVAC and good filtration, and you bring in uh, outside air as needed, That is a better solution than continuously bringing in copious amounts of outdoor air that you have to filter, humidify, dehumidify, heat, cool, whatever.
1: And what type of filtration upgrades are you recommending for your clients, if any?
2: Uh, For the most part, honestly, it's just a 4-inch media filter. Uh, So I've seen numbers on those, and they do pretty well. Uh, if the client has specific indoor air quality concerns, then yes, we'll get into deeper things, uh, uh, activated carbon and the like.
1: Okay. All right. Now, I guess that was my kind of follow up. I wasn't sure how you were handling that. And and you say a four-inch filter?
2: Yes. Uh, so just a plain old media filter that uh, um, uh, you know every furnace manufacturer makes. And I actually in researching that. I didn't believe my uh, partner, and uh, I called David Richardson, who's a a very good uh, HVAC expert, but he also understands building shell, which not a lot of HVAC guys do. Um, And I said, you know, David, what what do you recommend for the best filtration? And he came back, don't do a UV light. You can cause ozone. Don't do any of that other fancy stuff. Just get a four-inch filter. Make sure that uh, the air can bypass it. um, Slow the air down across the face of it. And make sure the equipment runs all the time.
1: And was there a MERV rating on that or
2: Uh, typically they're ten to twelve.
1: Ten to twelve. Okay. But I mean memory serves. So not every mechanical system is going to have a place for a four inch filter, but you're oftentimes putting in new mechanical systems, correct?
2: Correct. And you can almost always retrofit one in somewhere.
1: Okay. Okay, very good. Now, um, oh, before I go on, Cliff, anything you wanted to add? I'm good. All right, let's let's go back and and talk a little bit about the pricing again. How do people afford these? You know, we're we're talking pretty serious bucks here. Um, the initial consultation sounds you know real reasonable, but then um, you're you're making a jump from you know twenty five hundred up to fifteen maybe $60,000. How do people go ahead and get this done? Is it just that you work with people who have money, or um, do you feel like there's other ways that people who maybe don't have as much money can work? Uh, do you give them financing? How do you handle this?
2: Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. It's a really critical question. Um, and uh, I like think as far as household incomes, uh, but I imagine Cleveland's a little bit higher than where you live, but it's still not spectacularly high uh, household income area. So I'd say my clients start perhaps in the $75,000 uh, annual household income uh, range. Um, and to get them to execute projects that are fifteen dollars to $30,000, it's relatively simple. Well, I'm not going to say it's easy, but uh, uh, you have to switch over to thinking monthly instead. And that is the critical piece. Um so uh, part of developing budget is I'll ask them, okay, so what is it worth a month to solve these problems? And they think about it and uh we find that somewhere around seventy five dollars a month you can begin to make substantial upgrades to a home and around one hundred fifty dollars a month you can make really huge improvements. Um and then if we can leverage the energy savings that come from it, and the energy savings are, are not spectacular necessarily. So uh, one client who we've been tracking his energy savings, he's had a 45% reduction in his natural gas usage over the winter. Hmm. That works out to $350 a year. So to some extent, whoop freaking do mm-hmm. uh, But that's $30 a month, and the package that he wanted was $130 a month so when you subtract the thirty dollars a month in energy savings from uh, the hundred thirty payment that he's going to get, uh, he can get that package for hundred bucks a month.
1: It sounds like he already costs. had. Uh, he was already doing pretty good then because a forty five. Let's go over those numbers again. Forty five percent decrease, and it only saved him what three hundred and fifty dollars a year.
2: Yep, that's what the projections were. His energy costs are cheap.
1: Uh, okay, okay. I mean, because I know people with, you know, five, $600 a month gas bills, um, but those are very leaky homes. His must have been a little better to start with.
2: Well, let me ask those guys or I'll teach you how.
1: <laughs> you got it, my friend. Cliff, let me get over to you and make sure if you have any questions you get in here. Cliff, we still have you? I'm still here okay, I just wanted to know if you wanted to jump in had any questions I'm good I'm all right good. let me let me ask this then what with respect to your older homes let's let's look back um, at those early jobs you know what what do you think nowadays do you think um man I wish you know, well it's, you talked about this a little bit earlier it sounds like most of your clients were were pretty happy but um I'm wondering if sometimes you felt like you wasted money.
2: Um, frankly, yes. Uh, and, and here's why. Uh, now it's, I wasn't able to see uh, what the energy savings were on many of the projects, but I did get numbers on a few of them, um, and two in particular that I, I ran to ground. Uh, one of them was a friend of mine. Uh, well, he became a friend after that and actually a business mentor. Um, and in fact, I've audited his house, and we have to, uh, we're going to do the next phase of improvements on his house. But he spent about $3,000 for a project. He got the full $1,250 rebate. And I'll give you a guess as to what the percentage of energy savings were that he saw
1: hmm. 10%. How
2: about nothing? Nothing. Um, I, I, I couldn't discern the savings. Um, I mean, maybe 10, probably not even that. And then another project that's down the road for me, a retired professor, um, we did a very substantial attic job to at his house. Uh, he has a two and a half story house. So it has a finished walk-up attic. Um, and, uh, it was about a 6,000 dollar project. We air sealed the heck out of the house just from attic work alone. We dropped the air leakage in the house by 38%. That's a big number. Um, And I looked at what his energy bills were, and by actual usage, they went up by 2.5% because the winter was brutal. But uh, weather normalized, he only saw a 9% drop in energy savings. And that project, by the way, was very similar to my new client's 45% savings house um, with fairly similar jobs, but one we were aiming at uh, an objective And then the other, we were aiming at getting as much rebate money as we could.
1: What other differences were there? Uh, Most of it is probably the air
2: sealing that we did was decent, but there's a lot more that you can do if you go more deeply for it, which typically involves removing the insulation. Um, But uh, uh, most of it is... I don't know. I'm just. I'm. I'm I was frustrated by uh, the the few people that would come back and say, "Boy, it, it didn't solve this problem," um, or uh, you know, I, I didn't see any savings. Although almost nobody actually tracks their savings.
1: You know, I always wondered. Like, you're doing a lot of, and I, I'm all for air sealing, and I think it helps solve IAQ problems. Oftentimes, if it's done with that in mind and not just to save energy. I I think air sealing can be a a great way to help improve indoor air quality, but it can also have the opposite effect. Um, If you don't make other changes along with it, which is where I kind of wanted to lead with this one, I like the fact that you're looking at a comprehensive package because, you know, you're putting in mechanicals oftentimes, you're you're air sealing, you're adding some insulation, and, and you're doing some other Uh, Things Because I've always wondered, you know, even though you cut down the air leakage 10, 20, 30 percent, there's still air leakage if you don't address those (laughs) other issues. And what I have found is where you when you cut down the air leakage 30 percent, 25 percent in the places where it still leaks is where I find the air quality problems in that you'll get more moisture in those areas. You'll get more, um, you know, whatever is in in that wall cavity or in that attic or whatever will be pulled into the home more readily. I don't know. Is that something you've ever thought about or looked at?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Well, I I mentioned the ventilating dehumidifier. Yes. uh, Earlier. Um, So what that is, it's, it's a whole house dehumidifier that connects to the ductwork of the house. Uh, So it's not just in the basement. It handles the whole house, and it can be a good supplement to an oversized air conditioner. Uh, But what it also does is it has a MERV 14 filter uh, uh, attached to a line that goes outdoors. And uh, that piece of equipment ends up slightly pressurizing homes so that uh, you're not drawing crummy air from the air cap. The, like the wall cavities, the crawl space, the basement, the attic, um, you're actually putting a touch of pressure on that, um, which is going to tend to be better for indoor air quality. And if the house is reasonably tight, that doesn't come with a particularly large ener- energy penalty.
1: Now, while we're on indoor air quality, what, have you, do you work with IAQ professionals on any of these projects
2: that depends. Do you consider a mold guy to be an IAQ professional?
1: Uh, well, generally no, but there are some very good ones. I don't want to uh, you know, downplay that. But generally, if they call themselves a mold guy, they're not looking at the big picture.
2: Um, that, that's what I found. There's one mold fellow that I've worked with that I like a great deal, but he's uh, a year or two away from retirement and not necessarily looking to change his whole paradigm. Um So in general, I would say no, I haven't. Um, And I'm not really aware of any IHU professionals in my area, although I'm sure they're there.
1: Absolutely. And and what about your current process for for indoor air quality? What are you doing? Uh, You mentioned the um, air advice system. Are you still using that? Are you putting it in before and after? Are you uh, using any other types of measurement equipment?
2: Uh, It's primarily the, the air advice um, most people don't mention uh, indoor air quality problems specifically, uh, so if I'm going to uh, you know, substantially improve the envelope of their house and put the right piece of HVAC equipment in, uh, more often than not, I will solve problems they, they may not know uh, even existed. Um, but for the people that come to me with that, yes, I'll do a before and then an after um, to verify that, yes, we, we did actually uh, uh, solve some problems.
1: I got a text at about the same time that really, John and I are on the same wavelength here. Um, Do you verify or validate the improvements to indoor air quality with particle counts? Now, the air advice does give that. I guess what I would ask as kind of an add-on to that, um, what have you seen? When when you do air sealing and you do uh, your packages, what happens to particle levels?
2: We haven't had uh, enough projects come back and have the uh, the after numbers to really give you a definitive answer on that yet. Okay. Ask me in another year.
1: That's that's much appreciated. And I know it's kind of early on in this whole process for you, and uh, and I'm really glad you're you're coming in and and. I'm glad I reached out to you. I, I find your blog somewhere. I can't remember where. Um, and then, you know, I reached out to you, and you turned me on to Richard Rue, which was a great show, by the way, folks. If you like this one, make sure you listen to last week too, because similar kind of show, but more new construction based, and um, but very interesting take on on energy and uh, building science and and indoor air quality as well. So uh, I'm glad we did, and I'm, I'm looking forward to future shows where we can bring you in and um, talk a little bit more about how this is going. I want to turn it over to the Z-Man for a moment, and I think he's got a quick roundup question. We're going to kind of round it up here. I'm going to let Cliff ask one final question, then I'll ask one, and we'll take it from there.
0: Nate, Uh, what,
1: what sort of things
0: have you done in your own home based on what you know?
2: You had to ask that question. It's a Cliff, great question, you? Cliff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am much because no,
0: I, I, I figure you, <laughs> you just don't have time like everybody else you it's going <laughs> <even I'd>
1: to ask. <laughs> He's buying yeah, I a just new house. This, <laughs>
2: um, uh, my, my, uh, we we insulated an air sealed my attic as a fairly early job um, with my contracting business, so it's okay. But uh, actually, as I've learned more, I, I have a pretty cool old house. It's actually a National Historic Register house. It's uh, built in 1835, and it was the uh, general store for the little town that I live in. Um, but uh, all of the wall insulation was done wrong. And if you're going to get wall insulation out, what are your options?
1: <laughs> They're not good. No.
2: Take off the drywall or take off the siding. Yep. Um And so, actually, what I've decided is I've learned more, and it's a bummer because I really like this house, but I'm actually going to sell the house and buy another one and do uh, full home performance upgrades to a different one because my basic package, my budget package for my home now, is about $70,000.
0: Yeah, The reason that I asked is uh, I'm in the midst of having about $30,000 worth of ice dam repair work done to the interior of my house, so uh, I know where you, I know how you feel. Fortunately, insurance is paying for it, but still, it's it's a pain.
2: Tell me that they're doing some air sealing work as part of that.
0: They're not, but uh, I'll have it done. Yeah, I, need, well, I, need a re- I need a reference if you have somebody in Pittsburgh.
1: Or you want to come. I do, but we can talk about that You're later. you close. Nate's you close. No problem. Or, or I
2: can come. It's not far from me. It's less than two hours from my house
1: we could well, uh I'd we'll love to come down and uh go through the process with you Nate that would be great. And Cliff's got a nice uh it's a fairly newer home isn't it Cliff? It's 20 plus, Joe. Okay. Okay. It just looks nice. That's new in my world. Yeah, it's new in my world, too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Nate, let's wrap it up here, buddy. Um, I think this has been fun. We've had a couple great comments already, um, and and people are, are really enjoying this topic. I think we're going to do more along these lines as time goes on, because, you know, these jobs, they affect indoor air quality. They affect comfort. Comfort is a part of indoor air quality. I guess, Two questions. one, with respect to indoor air quality, um, what what would you recommend for our two industries as far as you know kind of trying to work together a little bit more?
2: Boy, that's a great question, and I would really like to see more of that happen because we, we uh, affect each other directly. Um, uh, I guess I, I would like to see a lot of indoor air quality professionals probably think a little bit more holistically about the house uh, or offer the option of, okay, well, we can solve the spot problem that you have now. We'll deal with the symptoms, so that's taken care of. But there's deeper root causes behind all of this, and if you want to deal with those, perhaps we should consider uh, something a little deeper. I I like to call it a comprehensive planning process because the audit's only a piece of the puzzle. Um, But uh, uh, an energy audit of sorts could be a a good step there. And then, boy, I'd love to know who the IAQ guys are um, uh, so that possibly we could work together um, on creating plans and I can fill in knowledge gaps that they have and then you guys can fill in the knowledge gaps that I have because I am not an expert
1: in IAQ yet. Wow. I, I really appreciate you joining us, and um, it's been a fascinating show. I've, I've enjoyed preparing for the show. I've enjoyed talking to you up to you know to the point of getting to this. Before we go, though, the, the last question is always, is there anything that we missed that you'd like to add, any final comments you'd like to make before we wrap it up?
2: Uh, one comes to mind, uh, which is uh, uh, consider getting rid of combustion appliances entirely inside homes. Uh, of gas stoves and gas water heaters oftentimes are causing a lot of the the issues that are going on inside the house so we actually recommend switching to electric water heaters or heat pump water heaters and uh, believe it or not we're routinely switching people to heat pumps even in cold cleveland
1: you know i'm seeing much more of that uh, and i'm you know from Pittsburgh, I'm now up in the mountains to the southeast of Pittsburgh. But yeah, I think that technology is—it's um, there. I don't—I don't think we have to worry about that anymore. And um, certainly, they're—they're they're, um, a little easier to work. So, so with respect to pressure differentials, is that part of the reasoning?
2: Oh, that's part of it, definitely. If you can seal off the chimney, that might be uh, you know, 200 to 800 uh, cfm 50 in a house. And for reference, a good blower door number in a house begins when its blower door number is equal to its square footage. So if you have a 2,000-square-foot house that scores 2,000 or under, that's pretty good. Um, It may still be screwed up, but it's pretty good. But older homes will routinely see a 2 or 3 to 1. So a 2,000-foot house might have a 4,000 or a 6,000 blower door number. Um, And those need a lot of work. But the problem is if you seal one of those up and you leave Uh, a natural draft uh, gas-water heater in there. Number one, you've got that 200-800 CFM hole. Number two, the odds of making that piece of equipment backdraft go up substantially. Got
1: it. Great. That's a fantastic way to end this show. Um, Much appreciated, Nate Adams, for joining us today on IAQ Radio. I'm sure we will be back in a year or two to check up on your progress.
2: Sounds great, Joe.
1: Happy to help. All right. Again, thanks to Nate Adams of, uh, let's get the name right there, Energy Smart Home Performance up in the Cleveland area. If we've got any good IAQ people up that way, give Nate a holler. Uh, I guess you could just blog or um, uh, I, I put the link to his Energy Smart Home Performance website on the show announcement and also to the One Knob blog. So, folks, you can catch up with Nate there. I also want to make sure I thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. Great job.
0: Fun show today, Joe.
1: Very good. I enjoyed that a lot. Of At the controls, John, you got to have faith. Good job on the controls. No glitches today. Of course, to our growing group of loyal listeners, much appreciated. Check out that new website. You can search the archives now. You can put in key terms. You can, you know, really, uh, it really, I I use it all the time. I don't know about you, Cliff, but it's helped me tremendously just Mar, you know, Navigating my own website, that's been a great improvement. So um, check it out and come back and join. Oh, next week, the Z-Man and I will be at the Violand uh, Executive Summit up in Canton, Ohio, not far from Nate, actually. So we'll be in Canton. We're going to interview some of the folks at the uh, Executive Summit, talk a little bit about business-related issues and disaster restoration. So come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio.